When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 336. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire has got two great gifts I'd like to give away to the Moving Iron Podcast listeners. One is a an Alliance branded flashlight and an Alliance ball cap. So if you want one of those, send either of those. Send an email to marketing at axontire.com and they will make sure to send that to you in the mail. So you get a free flashlight and a free hat over at marketingandaxontire.com, and I'll get that over to you. They're also paying for the first $50 of your registration fee to the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. So if you're interested in doing that, go to Moving Iron LLC and fill out the form under the Moving Iron Summit registration tab. Check that out. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 800- 657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's iron cost is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctional pricing insights. 
This podcast is also brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work today. You also can count on the folks over at Iron Solutions, powered by Randall Riley, to help bring this podcast to you as well. I have Rich Possum uh, back on here to talk about what's going on in the overall marketplace. And Rich, there's a Quite a bit of stuff going out on there right now with what we see happening with uh, Chairman Powell uh, giving his uh, testimony up there on uh, Capitol Hill over the last couple of days. What he's talking about now, this is the first time I've really heard him stick to his guns and say, hey, we're, we are going down this path. This is what's going to happen. Um, we were doing quarter percent stuff. We maybe do more, maybe do less, but we are absolutely saying with the course that we're on, uh, we have to. There's a lot of stuff going on there. So I guess as you listen to his testimony, Rich, what are your thoughts there? And and, and I guess, how is your model reacting to what you see happen? Yeah, so I think uh, Paul is, uh, you know, just uh, reiterating what they started with for a while. And he kind of backed off uh, on the last rate hike there saying, hey, we're making uh, gains here and things are probably OK. And then the guy goes back in to speak to Congress and uh, wait a minute uh, <laughs> But you know, I, I think you, I think if we could talk to him personally, he'd say, you know, we're going to get bumps in the road, and yeah. we're just going to have to deal with them along the way. I question if he's that aggressive this time around with the higher interest rates, but I do believe they're going to put rates higher into June, July, um, and they they'll skip April, but early May they'll probably raise them. Probably June and July they'll raise them. I think they're saying, you know what, one way or the other, we got to stick with what we originally thought. We got to get rates higher than the inflation rate. And so that's what they call the terminal rate. And the way inflation's dropping in the private uh, calculations of people, uh, we could get there quite easily by June. If you look at the government's rate, they've changed the formula that held it up. It's just weird. It's kind of like, it reminds me of people complaining about USD and the grain markets that they never had the number right. <laughs> and, and it just feels like, it just feels <laughs> right, like the, yeah. the government is showing us too high a number of inflation. And it's like, they just did something to keep it even higher. So it's, yeah. it's weird, but it is, at least the government number is trending lower. And I think next Tuesday, we're going to get a CPI report. And unfortunately, it looks like most of the professionals out there are saying it's just going to come down a little bit. That may bother uh, the markets here a little bit that we're just not moving fast enough. But at the same time, I think most of the marketplace understands that they already know that, that even I could see in February doesn't look like it was slipping that much. And for some reason, right after the first year, people just bought like crazy. And they bought all the way through January, somewhat in February. In fact, for some items, they bought more in February than January. And it's just kind of bolsing, holding up, supporting this inflation to drop as fast as it once was. But again, some of these private numbers and just last week, so show it's now speeding down again. But those numbers can be off the mark. It could be a huge lag compared to government we might be stuck here for a few months that is just coming down too slow and the Fed will continue to raise. I'm not concerned. The modeling is saying the Fed can take this all the way to 6%. It's not going to kill the economy. I don't think you're going to kill the economy to get above 7 and maybe even as high as 10%, but it also depends how fast you raise it and how, how quickly do people respond and get scared. So I know a lot of people are scared of 6%, but hey, they were scared of 5 and now they're okay with 5 so they're scared of 6 So I think they're going to learn to be okay with 6 Uh, I think somewhere in that 5% area, possibly touching 6 is going to be the highest this year for the Fed. They level off for the rest of the year, and then next year they actually lower a little bit. 
I think the free market interest rates, if they haven't already topped for the longer term rates, like the 30 year and the 10 year, uh, they'll top soon and they'll ease back into next year. So in other words, they'll start down before the Fed in a way they already have. The 90 day and the two year rates, the shorter term side of the curve uh, has rebounded to new highs compared to last year. That's understandable. They're so short term, they have to be in line with the Fed. So they, they'll stay up perhaps all the way into June, even if the farther out rates start down any, uh, any day now. But it just looks farther out, we're going to be okay. And the model's still saying we bullish the stock market. It might be more of a struggle than we want, might be a slower paced yield. And keep in mind, stock market's up 14% from last year's low, and it did it in just four to five months. So that's a pretty darn good return. Right. We, sh- yeah. we shouldn't be surprised it has to stall out at times and moves at a slower pace. And therefore, we shouldn't be surprised there'll be some re- uh, news related to that, some reporting that just concerns investors how bullish they really want to be. But I think in terms of Powell, yeah, I think they're going to raise them. I don't know how to bet on what's going to happen uh, March 22nd, I think, is the day the Fed raises. Is it going to be a quarter point, a half? The marketplace seems to be betting it'll be a half. I don't care. Uh, what the model's saying, if it's a half, that might knock the market down a few days to a week and a half, and then it's just going up anyways, because what will happen is investors will flip and say, well, longer term, this is a good thing. We're going to fix this problem, okay? Shorter term, it'll be discouraging to have to do it. So that's just it's just all this data. You can just see it's like short-term problems, long-term okay. Uh, and it just causes friction, causes problems getting traction. We get stuck in the mud here in the stock market and some of these uh, other markets here. But I so, yes, I think the Fed continues to raise, and I'm just hopeful by June, and I think it will happen by June, we're actually going to see the Fed's rate slightly higher than CPI inflation. And then I think the Fed will say, now we can be even more patient unless inflation jumps on us. And as soon as it jumps, well, they're going to have to start over and take a higher still. So I kind of hope people can behave themselves and businesses don't ask for higher and higher prices and, and people kind of hold off on their buying a little bit. But And we did see a good surge of consumer buying. And we need to discuss the consumer. What is the consumer doing? Because there's conflicting data there as well. Some are saying, oh, the consumer's all tapped out. He's, you know, he's already got problems. He can't pay his credit card bill. He can't pay his auto loan. But I've seen this data before and it really didn't matter. And I don't think it's going to matter right now. And the weird thing is we have other data on the credit cards and their overall finances for their households. They're still setting on money from a few years ago, they saved. They still have money. So I don't, some of this negative data just does not add up of where we're going to have a huge down move in the stock market. We're going to slide into recession. It just does not add up. But at the same time, it is like a thorn in our side, you know, it's just we're moving forward, but gee, we got a little pain along the way here and some frustration, you know. So uh yeah, I I, I assume the Fed's going higher, but I don't think it's gonna cause crashing market, huge down moves. It'll cause short-term down moves and then it it comes back here. Uh I am picking up signs that people are buying stocks and uh accumulating uh stocks here, but the point is they buy for a week. Well, then if they don't need to buy, it really takes only just a few sellers and knock the market right back down again. And it's just it's just this ratchet process. And eventually we'll get enough. Uh, anybody asking for clues? You know, is the market really going up? Well, we, if we can get the S&P 500 about 4,200, that'll look good. But my best evidence, we're in a long-term bull market. Just you're looking at prices, nothing else. Get it above 4,325, uh, the August. So, 
So, Rich, there's a lot of stories I hear right now that guys are, especially this morning, I've seen more this morning than I have any other time, but talking about, you know, the S&P could fall by 500. You're talking about, or by 500. S&P 500 could fall by 20% by uh, sometime uh, midway through this year. You're talking about some other people out there that are talking about, you know, the whole stock market as a whole could crash by 30% in the next 60 days. We are, uh, I, I like what you just said, you know, we're, there's data out there that shows that people have the cash and capital, and but there are also you know a lot of different debts and stuff out there that people are working through. What do you, what's your reaction to those kind of headlines and those kind of stories out there right now? Yeah, I see some of the data they're looking at. Some of it's actually pretty good analysis. Some of these people have good track records. But the interesting thing is when you overlay these business cycles and then compare to prior generations who made the same calls and going back 100 years, you find they can become overly bearish during the boom phase. And really, history teaches that last year, the stock market had dropped as much as 25% at one time. That's about the maximum the stock market drops. It's only dropped twice in 100 years of 30 to 35%, and that was the maximum. So we really overdid it. So it's very unlikely those types of analysis will be correct, at least this year and next. Now, a little later, they may have another opportunity there. And then still later, in the decade, they'll probably be wrong. And for the for these people who are looking for huge moves down, like 40 or 50% down, it's always occurred when the business, the major decade-long business cycle turned into a recession. And that's not due to near the end of the decade. So I realize there's always a chance to get new history, something that you just can't explain and something broke. But right at the moment, believe it or not, even though the, a lot of this data and this news over this inflation is new to us, especially the younger generations who didn't grow up in the 70s with inflation, we're really, the market is saying we've seen this before and it's actually behaving normally. So within, yeah. within the position of the business cycle, we've already seen the pullback we should have got. So those people are still holding out for yet another move lower. They're less than 10% probability of being right in my opinion. <laughs> and yes, I can be wrong, but I look at my track record and using this for 40 years now. And I look at what I've done, which really, when I look at my own money, you have to be careful. There's analysis. And then what did you do with that analysis? And sometimes I don't even keep up with my own model. I could have done better last year compared to what my model did, but uh, I've beaten the market since 2010. And it's very, I must fit in like the 25% group to do that. Again, that may have a little something to do with me, but the way I look at it, it really does reflect these business cycles working. And it just gives me confidence to say, I think the other guys are going to be wrong. Now, yeah. what would what would scare me yeah. that something is going wrong for me <laughs> and my model? Probably trading below the December low, and I can't think of what that price level was. Uh, go below that. People are going to get nervous. It's going to go back to the October low, which was the lowest price last year. And I believe that low, that lowest price, is a long type of long-term bottom that's suggesting higher stock market in 2024. And the... Yeah. The GDP right now is 2.6%. The model's saying it's going to 3 to 4% in the next two years. It's highly confident. Uh, even if inflation stayed high, it would actually help get that GDP that high. But we don't need that, okay? Inflation can yeah. go down and the GDP can go that high anyways. Uh, that kind of gives me some confidence. Um, last week for my subscribers, I made a call for a minor long-term bottom in the PMI indicators. That is very risky. Uh, the indicator, when they released it last week, it only ticked up slightly. You can barely see it. But we are it's getting so late, it's time to bottom. And if we can get that PMI moving up this year, that will 
connect with the GDP, which is already heading up. And it just gives us more evidence that probably the economy is going to grow and in a good way. Okay, uh, the economy has been growing all along through all this problem, but it's not the best way. It's, it's kind of growing too fast in some areas. And that's why we're fighting. That's why we're seeing inflation. And that's why we're fighting inflation here. So, uh, yeah, I have to discount those people and say it's their turn to be wrong. You know, and right. uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Okay. So. Let's talk about the dollar a little bit. Dollar has still been doing quite well uh, comparatively to the rest of the world. We've seen it spiking this morning. Now it's getting, getting jumping up there. Um, you'd mentioned something about how uh, Japan printing money and China printing money. Those are one and two as far as what really reflects back onto the U.S. dollar and where we're at there. But talk about that a little bit and explain why those those two factors um really work against the uh, U.S. dollar so well. Yeah, there's going to be more discussion of this because I, I think half of the professional Wall Street hasn't even thought of this. And uh, there's some very interesting people have, are coming out with some interesting ideas of this. The Bank of Japan has been printing for a while and printing money right. heavily. And they really have not, their inflation is fine. It did not explode off the printing money like our country did. And so they're still printing. Now, what might be a risk of that is the person who's the head of the central bank there in Bank of Japan has been there, seems like forever. And he, you know, it may be time for him to retire. Somebody shoves him out or he just wants to quit or whatever. And some people say, you might bring in somebody else and it won't do that. And that could suddenly flip some switches here, how things are working. But how it's working at this moment is, yes, they're printing money to help their own economy, but that money is also being reinvested around the world and it's creating better liquidity globally. And some of that, I believe, is in the European stocks. And I correctly called the bottom in European stocks a while ago, and they've been doing better than the U.S. stock market. France is already at record highs in their stock index. Germany is near record highs, whereas we're still off our record highs quite a bit. Uh, So Europe has had a good run, even with the Russia-Ukraine problem there. People are just saying somehow, some way, life goes on. These companies are cheap. Let's buy them, okay? And... But some of that money flowing around the world is you know, looking for that opportunity. Well, some of that's trickling in our country. And I think this recent bounce recovery in the dollar is actually money flowing into the U.S., buying U.S. stocks. It may just be U.S. investors who are investing abroad and flipping back to U.S., but it may actually be global people investing. But I don't think they're investing because of worries over the future like they did in recent years. I think they're saying I can make a buck in the U.S. because they're the next ones are going to go up right after uh, Europe. Now, to me, this is great, wonderful news. But then these people that are working on this and have a greater understanding than myself are saying what this is also doing is causing problems for the Fed because it's helping to hold our economy and may help. Uh, you know, the dollar did back off a while there, and between the the recent down moving up in the dollar, we might be getting better business for exports. We're improving uh, business around the world on their exports. And they said this could be actually working against the Fed, whereas there had been worries of the Fed actually hurting the global economy as it fought the war and inflation in the U.S., which is yet another interesting concept. So uh, this is something we'll have to monitor here in the future in the sense of I think it's a positive longer term for the U.S., Europe, if not the world of that money printing. And China, by the way, is also printing money, just not nearly as aggressive as they had in the past. 
they come in number two behind Japan, and it's kind of a distant number two. But those people are putting China on the same list with Japan saying, you got to watch those two and their money printing as China tries to rebuild its uh, economy here. Uh, what may be the risk if suddenly Japan just suddenly stopped, then suddenly that liquidity may back off around the world. Maybe it backs off here. And if the Fed is pushing harder and harder to fight inflation and they recognize the world's working against them and they got to work harder, suddenly if that opposing force goes away, the Fed may wake up, oh, we went too far. <laughs> and then you and I may wake up, the yay, the stock market's going down and we're heading towards a recession and this and that, you know. So uh, still... Uh, some confusing ideas within that, but it is something to monitor. And I do believe they're probably on the right track there. I think it is helping support uh, at least the US stock market, a little bit of the dollar uh, right now, but also the dollar is up because it's assuming we got some higher interest rates coming uh, still. Uh, but again, even my dollar forecast is saying it can back off a little by April and maybe it can rebound, but I don't see the dollar going higher by huge amounts uh, this year. I think it's in a bear market, but I don't think it's going. I think we've seen most of that bear market. I don't know if the dollar is going quite a bit lower. I think it's probably going to bounce around uh, for quite a while here. And uh, so, um, and the and the actual level of the dollar right now, I think is is okay uh, for our exports and the same thing for globally. But uh, if the dollar explodes by huge amounts and interest rates explode by huge amounts, well, we're at least going to have a short term problem. Uh, in the stock market and renewed worries over are we going into recession? And I still don't see the recession at all. Um, I realize the short-term rates have run up so fast compared to the uh, long-term rates. The They call that an inversion and it forecasts a recession, but that thing has been wrong in the past two years. And uh, most people say it works all the time or eventually, but I'll tell you there's some big uh, some people that worked in the Federal Reserve, one of them actually discovered using the 90-day versus the 10-year rate. And he even said, you know something, this just does not have to work every time. So I'm going to need more proof in this if something's wrong to, to get on board any kind of a recession or serious uh, drop in the stock market. Yet at the same time, I, I think the rate's got to go a little bit higher here. And we got some work to do to back off on that inflation. And I'd like to explain to people I know the Fed wants 2%, okay? I think it's going to take a long, long time to get 2%. Um, and I think for the rest of this decade, inflation might average 3% or 35 And we may even see a jump in inflation later this, uh, during the latter half of this decade, where we get a pattern similar to the 1970s. And I know months ago, I told you we're not in the 1970s. Well, we got inflation as high as 19, early 1970s. It's backing off almost like it did in 1970s. And I'm forecasting to back off into 2025. But we may see it does bounce again on as something similar in 1970s. But I don't think it's going to be as much. And I just think it's just not going to average as high later. It just won't be that big of a problem. But it is something to watch out for down the road. But right today, I think if we can just be patient here, uh, inflation is going to road away and eventually rates back off. But see, I don't think the stock market can wait. I don't think it can wait to see, do we get to 2%? It just, it's never worked that way. As right. inflation as inflation walks down, stock market walks higher and, the, and the inflation is walking down. It might be walking slowly, but the stock market is also going slow, you know? But I, I think we're on the right track. Well, all right. <clears throat> Let's take a look at 
one thing that I've been paying close attention to, and right now it's not really expanded past this, but you've got Russia right now um, doing whatever they can to generate whatever money they can, and they've got all kinds of sanctions on them, this, that, and that thing. Right now, Russia and India are um, trading oil with each other, and Russia's giving India oil, and uh, India's giving them rubles instead of of dollars, right? So that's uh, definitely something different out there, and that's when you know the oil has always been pegged to the U.S. dollar for the past fifty years or whatever. So it's always been that that way. You look at the price of oil right now um, and where it's at; it's made pretty decent rebound here over the last couple of weeks it's gone from um you know down around uh, back in uh, right the first year at about 70 oh what 72 ish dollars now we're up to 77 or 78 dollars here on the on the west texas crude you got 82 something over there on the brent crude um everything that i've watched and paid attention to has said that we could see hundred dollar oil again in a little bit of no time and and really see some some moves there to bring that do- the oil price back up to that hundred dollar range. As you look at energy right now, uh, uh, Rich, are you do you have any concerns there with that? I mean, going back to hundred bucks, or do you think that this is just kind of some more rhetoric out there that that's just trying to drive headlines? I, I think it possibly could go back to hundred bucks um, because I, I'm actually calling for what I call minor long-term bottom. What that means is every three or four years stops going down and it goes up for a year and a half to next thing you know, it's back down for a year or two. And it's that kind of pattern. And uh, so it does look like we're going to get a little more demand and supply. Now, seasonally, uh, at least gasoline should work higher in the summer anyway, summer driving season. Um, and that can kind of drag oil higher. Sometimes oil, though, will reject some of that. It doesn't have to be as bullish as the actual gasoline. Uh, but I do think looking to summer, we can see heating oil, gasoline, crude oil work higher. I'm My model saying don't get nervous about a recovery to 100, but do get nervous of 110 or higher. So that's what I'll be uh, watching here in terms of oil hurting uh, our economy and perhaps some of our markets like the stock market and stuff. Uh, and will it push inflation higher? And right at the moment saying, yeah, give it room to about a hundred bucks, but I don't have a time frame in that. I'm not convinced it actually goes there this summer. I fully understand why some think so, but I could also see this could be a much more drawn out process, kind of boring and maybe we get to 100 bucks next year. And here's what I'm finding in commodities. I just put out a special report for subscribers and a little later actually put out a free one on the, my website. But I, what I'm looking at is I see some commodities can work higher in the next year. Or I see some commodities like the grains can have a crop problem this year and they explode this year. And then it's just downhill for a few years. My problem is I don't know, is it both those years or which year is it? And it's most difficult I've seen in 40 years here of working with these kind of patterns of supply and demand of which is it. And, and some of that has to actually do with weather. But um, what I'm thinking is really commodities want to go down into late 2024 to 2025, real estate down. In 2020, we may even get a little bit of a softness in the economy and stock market even. But what I'm seeing is that there's this top that's due this year or next uh, for the grains. For other commodities, it's clearly not this year, it's next year. I'm a little concerned that going in that top isn't gonna be like a six month or a year and a half bull market. 
I think it's only going to be three months, maybe six months. It's just going to be some pot. And I think, therefore, I don't really want to be long-term bullish these commodities. Yet the model's saying, well, you better be bullish until proven otherwise. So we're going to, we've got some risk points we're showing people. And even today, I did my weekly update in the grains and I showed some of these commodity indexes that aren't looking good. It should bounce. They're, they're getting cheap, but it's just one of me. We might get a bounce. The next thing you know, it's right back down. I think it's just going to be a struggle. And I think I prefer saying, hey, just remember, looking out to 2025, these commodities can be down. Therefore, it'll also help bring inflation down. So um, I'm a reluctant bull here in crude oil. Okay, uh, I don't think it's going up huge amounts. I don't think it's going to hurt us. But I, I'm, I'm on board with them that there can be at least a bounce here. And uh, if we and I'm setting these kind of rules where if like May and later this year, if some of these commodities like crude oil are lower than a certain month in recent months, then even though we may still get bounces this year and or next, they're just not going to last. They're not going to get the traction. And ultimately, it's going lower into 2025. And I wish I could be more clear about that and be really bulled up and then really bared. But it's like saying you really ought to be somewhat bearish and just kind of look out for some pops uh, in these commodities. And yes, oil is kind of setting up for one going into summer. Right on. Anything else, Rich, that you want to make sure we hit on before we close down the podcast? Uh, let me take a quick look here. Uh, M2 uh, is crashing. I don't know. Maybe I already mentioned that. That's a money measurement. And it's the lowest in decades, okay? Um, and all it is is the Fed is not only raising interest rates, but it's doing quantitative tightening. They're very, very aggressive, and it's scared people. Can they tighten too much? Or they're pulling money out of the system. So that scares the financial markets. Can it overdo it? And then suddenly the financial markets lose liquidity, and we're going down. We're not going up. Uh, yes, that's crashing, but I, I think uh, we're going to be okay. It, it is a bizarre statistic there. But um, we really had to take off some of this excess money, and it still looks like to me there's still going to be enough money in the system to flow. But it is something to think about. Now, uh, people are going to be concerned of the jobs number tomorrow. The Jolt's job come out and said, yes, some companies are pulling back. They're saying, no, we're not going to hire as many as we thought. We're pulling the jobs off the list. But we still have 1.9 jobs for every unemployed person. That's still uh, very good. So again, this is kind of data that's a two-edged sword. On one hand, you'd say it's going to cut us because the Fed ain't going to like that. We got to cut jobs more than that. So they're going to keep raising rates and eventually something breaks. On the other hand, it is coming down and it's actually a sign of a good growing economy. <laughs> and that's what's confusing here because we know we have this war in inflation, but businesses are actually still making decent money and these stocks are worth more than what they are today. It's just people are, the reason the stock market isn't up another 10% is they're just being cautious. They're very convinced they're going up, but they're asking themselves, but it's the day to day to really load up. And yeah. that's an issue. Uh, real estate. Uh, that was uh, the next thing I was going to ask you about. Yeah. Uh, well, I saw a tweet from, uh, I don't know if he's a billionaire fund manager or he's just managing multi-billions in a hedge fund, but I guess he specializes in real estate. He's at a conference down south somewhere. It was a global conference, actually. But he tweeted to his people and apparently allowed it to go public. And he just said, it's worse than I thought. It's over. The boom is over in real estate. Uh, and I look at statistics and yes, um, 
Some of these indicators, if you look at the S&P Case Shiller Index, you can look that up online. They have several indexes of how home prices are going. You can see it's rolled over for the first time in a few years. So if you measured that on a short-term basis, it in theory is minus. Prices ought to be cheaper. But overall, though, they're still up for the past few years quite a bit. And I'm seeing other measurements saying, no, it's it's not negative. They're not cheaper. They're just not going up as fast. They're still actually going up, but it is slowing. One way or the other, I think it's obvious. The writing's on the wall. Eventually, all those statistics are going to be minus. And I think we do see lower home prices by 2025. That'll also help with inflation. But unlike the 2008, 2009 blowout on uh, real estate that caused our stock market collapse and all this stuff, totally different story this time around. We got safety net after safety net there. So I don't see any massive crash in real estate and it's not going to trickle over and hurt our economy. Stock market. It's just time to cool things off and ease back. There's not much evidence there of these prices coming down, but I will say we're seeing the evidence and volume of transactions even local brokers now are telling me, hey, I haven't sold anything in two months. And I was working 24-7 uh, because business was so hot and I knew I just had to get it. And now there's, you know, some of them saying, well, I haven't even showed anything in a couple of weeks. So it's really uh, in pockets around the U.S. and the U.S. in general coming to screeching hall. Locally here, we're still busy. In a few minutes, I'm leaving to show, uh, you know, a $200,000 piece of land. Somebody from the city is going to come out and say, I'm going to, I need land. I'm going to buy it. That's my long-term investment. But I sense even locally, we're starting to, to back off. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I'll say the boom is over on real estate. And that will concern some, but really that also helps us fight with inflation. And that's what's so confusing. You hate to hear about negative news, but some of that negative news is actually positive long-term. Mm -hmm. yep. And again, and again, I don't see a crash in, in real estate. It's just time to cool things off here. So. Right. Sounds like the equipment market. Very much so. Not a crash. Just yeah. cooling down of prices there. So on the yeah. used equipment side of it. So absolutely the same. Thank I know you. I got a friend down right down the street here sells uh, used cars and then he has uh, small uh, new tractors he sells and variety of other things he sells. But uh, I was concerned he'd get caught up with too many cars with the collapse. He said, boy, these used cars really come down. But he did the correct thing. The higher they went, he kept less and less inventory. So he didn't buy too far ahead. And yeah. uh, so he feels like uh, he'll be all right. And uh, yeah. So, and then I think we'll hear more of those kind of stories. We're just adjusting here. I saw some more information on the supply chain that just says really anybody is still talking about a supply chain problem as a negative for the country. They're they're just lagging. That it's right. uh, pretty pretty much over. And uh, yep. so now all we need is China to come on board. And I'm hopeful Goldman Sachs is right that they're going to surge in the second quarter. Uh, they're, they're already saying it should be better because that's going to trickle through and help the U.S. economy and global economies. And do well. I don't think China's really interested in a really robust economy there. They want a safety net. They don't want to overdo it. But I, I think Goldman Sachs might be on the right track here. And if we can get that rebound, I think we'll, we'll, we'll find we're going to be all right this year. Good stock market rally, get the inflation down, peak out these rates. But yeah, I still see touch and go here and some complications, at least in the June, July, when hopefully the Fed will say, good enough, let's sit still for a while. Right on. All right, Rich, talk about your podcast a little bit more. People can find that out. Yes, go to criticalpointpod.com. 
and you'll find stuff about myself and my models, but there are also uh, pages you can click on to find some free videos, audios, the locked up subscriber ones, and there's link pages on any of those to sign up for the premium service. But I have a plan for the rest of this decade. This is how I've done it for many decades. I was right in the 2000s. I was right in the 2010s. I think I'm going to be right in the 2020s here. Uh, I have that long a term type plan, and it's actually working very well, even we've had all this turbulence and problems. And then I break it into increments so that it's not too long for some people. And I have a plan where we're going this year and next. And then inside of that, I try to give you ideas of how things are zigzagging from month to month, day to day. Even if you don't like investing and trading that fast, it allows you to see how things are flowing. And therefore, it can increase the confidence that when I tell you of a signal that is important enough for you, you'll take it. Right on. And you right on Twitter, you're, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Rich, at, I'll reach out to you. Yeah, at Rich underscore Possum, P-O-S-S-O-N. Right on. Okay. Well, Rich, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. I always learn something when you come on here. Thank you. I really enjoy this. Right on, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and also go to the LinkedIn pay or the YouTube channel, which is Moving Iron Podcast YouTube, and you can find this video version of this podcast here. So uh, go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and uh, get information from Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Got all the information there, and uh, you can find a lot of stuff about speakers and different stuff we have going on there. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Rich Boston. Smooth smart, folks. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard work. 